Okay, nerds. Welcome to episode 487 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam today for the introduction. I, man, what a fantastic conversation I have in store for you guys today. Um, I, I guess I don't need to like hype it up because if you tapped the play button, you saw the name of the author uh, in the name of this particular podcast episode. It's Victoria Schwab. Uh, she is the best, just the best human, the best writer, the best all around. <laughs> she has a new book that came out last week called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And much like how I said last week with Ken Follett, um, how his book, his latest book was one of the best books I've read all year. Uh, the Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is also right up there. Very possible it will be on my best of list uh, at the end of the year. It is so haunting and timely, even though, as you'll hear in our conversation, it took her about a decade to write this book. Um, we get into everything that the book is about, and she introduces the book at the beginning, so I won't do a huge introduction here. But, I mean, Victoria Schwab is it just, you know, she, there's no one else like her in the world. She is a best-selling author for middle grade, for young adult, for adult. She works on comics. She's written the script for The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue to become, <laughs> to, uh, to become a, a movie. Um, she writes, you know, about superheroes and villains and then down-to-earth characters and ghostly fairy tales and everything in between. Uh, the Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, like I said, it, it took her about a decade to write this, but it's, it feels really... The, the loneliness that the main character feels feels very much like things that we're all going through while we're staying at home and quarantining. And I think you're really, really going to love it. So I won't spend much time in, in the introduction here because I, I want you to get to this conversation so she can really talk about what this book means to her and why it took her the amount of time that it did and how the story came to her. And just the, the, I've gotten to speak to Victoria a few times now and every time. I walk away refreshed just because that's the type of person she is. Uh, she, she and I also do some book recommendations at the end. The first time we ever talked, spoke. Uh, the first time we interacted for a podcast episode a few years back, we spent like a half hour giving each other audiobook recommendations. So we've created a theme for, the, for ourselves where every time we speak, we're going we're gonna to do that. So the first half is all about her book. The second half of this podcast is some great book recommendations between the two of us. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to hear some more feedback or you want to give us some more feedback, rather, you can always email us at professionalbooknerds.overdrive.com. You can leave us a review wherever you, li you know, listen to your podcast. We appreciate that as well. Or you can find us on the Twitters and the Instagrams at ProBookNerds. Um, that's it. I'm not going to mess around anymore. I don't want to keep you guys waiting. I hope you guys enjoy this really fantastic conversation with the one and only Victoria Schwab on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Before we get to today's episode and this wonderful conversation with Victoria Schwab, I want to talk about one of our favorite sponsors, Freshly. Uh, you know what I love to do? I love cooking fresh, fresh prepared, healthy food for myself. You know what I love even more than cooking that food for myself? When that food is already prepared and it just shows up at my front door and it's ready to be microwaved and eaten and I know that it's healthy because it is fantastic and the company Freshly has already provided it for me. You know, Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious and healthy and simple. And because, you know, let's be honest, if it's not easy, a lot of people don't want to worry about it. If it doesn't taste delicious, why are we even dealing with it? So with Freshly, you can avoid grocery stores, which I know a lot of us are doing right now. And you can enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, and it's not frozen right to your door. <clears throat> so what you do, put up your feet and relax. Freshly chefs and nutritionists are going to do all the hard work for you. All you have to do is heat it up in your microwave for three minutes, and it's done. It arrives in this package that is like has these incredible, on top of the food being amazing and fresh, the packaging that it arrives in is amazing. It's these huge, almost like ice bags that you can freeze and use again anytime you're going somewhere. Honestly, I have enough to fill a whole cooler. Like they're all in my freezer. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, and there's just a lot of delicious food. You know, imagine creamy springtime risotto, fall apart, tender beef brisket, golden over, over fried chicken. 
it's just a few of the 30 plus health conscious options to choose from. You can go on the website, you can see the nutritional value in every single one of their meals and you can know what you're putting in your body is healthy. And again, saves you so much time. You can spend all the time reading. You don't need to worry about cooking any food in your kitchen. You can just kick, kick back, relax and enjoy it. You can join one of the almost one and a half million satisfied customers, skip the shopping, the prepping, the cooking and cleanup. And Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off their first two orders at freshly.com slash probooknerds. That's freshly.com slash probooknerds. I'm, I'm a huge fan of spending time talking about other people's books. It's kind of my favorite thing. <laughs> I have found that that's true with most of the authors. It's like they like you know, everyone tends to light up when they talk about all of like their friends' books and things. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so talk to me about your book. And they're just like, <laughs> that's because writing books is such a fraught process, and consuming books is such a delightful process. Yeah. I think we have the the psychic distance for other people's books. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I saw you say for Addie LaRue, this like this one took you a really, really long time. Ten years. Write. Yeah, that's first off. By the way, I I want to get this out of the way. It yeah. is incredible. Um, Thank you. I am not just saying this because I'm talking to you. I've been yeah. telling everyone I've talked about it. It is. Um, there's been a few books that have come out in the past few years that I feel like, like the Starless Sea, yeah. Anne Morgan Stern's book. I feel like that. What what. I felt was similar between the two. Like I feel like every page of this book, you have like a line where I was like, oh. it's just like, yeah. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how much that means. Like you know, when you have any book, but like for a book that's been like this, such a long-standing labor of love, um, where every word was so carefully chosen and then erased and chosen again, then erased and chosen again. Yeah. Like I, I, my experience with this book is something really special and something that I don't think I'll ever get to have again, but also not something I think you can have very many times in your career because of how long it took and what it consumed. But because of that, it has made like people's connection to the book just so much more special to me. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, oh, absolutely. And like I said, we'll, we'll bounce around between talking about Eddie LaRue yeah. and, and books and all sorts of stuff. And I just, just, you know, I started recording just so that it was recording yeah, yeah. because I feel like last time we did this, um we there was like a solid like 15 minutes where I was like oh shit I'm not recording <laughs> should not have yeah should have been recording it always, yeah. always safer yeah but um okay so what was like what do you think I'm gonna try and ask this so it's not insulting because I don't mean it to be yeah but being someone who is a professional writer and you've written so many books like what do you think it was that took you so much time to put together oh, yeah. this story it wasn't, and that's not an insulting question at all. Like, it's a really important one as somebody whose average time, I don't write books right as soon as I get the idea. My mm -hmm. average sleep time, I call it, is like one to two years. Mm -hmm. But there's a big difference between one to two years and eight to nine. <laughs> yeah. um, I felt very keenly, I'm, a, I'm not a religious person, I'm a spiritual person, mm -hmm. but I felt very keenly a need to stop and slow down with this one. And I think it's because authors, we are always writing the same story over and over again. Like they're, you know, if you look at an author, they tend to be exploring one or two themes. It's a catharsis, the yeah. act of writing. And so, but every now and then you get a story idea if you're very lucky and you know, you can only do it once. Mm -hmm. And there was something about Addie from the very beginning. One, because it wasn't under contract and then because I, nobody knew about it. And then because I always kept pieces secret it felt very intensely mine. Mm. And that's just at a time when other people, you know, had a claim to my work. Other people yeah. had contracted my work. And there was something about it where I simply wasn't ready to let Addie belong to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, so that was one of the, one of the components, as with everything Addie LaRue, there are many, many facets to the <laughs> equation. But I wasn't ready. Like, I, I simply wasn't a good enough writer. And I was keenly aware that I wasn't a good enough writer to do mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure how to pull it off. And so what happened is I put Addie in the pot to steep. Yeah. And every year, every six months to a year, I would check on it and mm -hmm. see if it was ready. And uh, something was always missing. Perhaps it was the ending. Perhaps it was a plot twist. Perhaps mm -hmm. it was a character component. Every year... For five, six years, it just wasn't ready. Yeah. And then it was, and I wasn't ready anymore. Mm -hmm. 
I felt like I, I wasn't the right version of myself to write it. And so something happened right when I was Henry's age, when I was 29, where I suddenly, instead of being afraid that I would write the book, I became very afraid that I would never write the book. Uh-huh. I was afraid that I was going to die without writing this book, which sounds mm-hmm. very macabre, but it was like a very, very strong solid feeling that this was going to be a book I spoke of and never committed. And so once the fear transmuted from, you know, writing it to not writing it, Uh I just plunged in and I spent a year and a half just drafting this thing, which had been percolating and sitting in my head and my heart for so long. And when it was done, it was a kind of mourning Mm -hmm. because you know, Addie had lived with me. I had spent almost a decade walking through the world and sometimes things would catch my eye and I would think, what would Addie think about that? And her, you know, she was there. She was constantly growing. Um, So yeah, it was a very complex process that dealt with like not wanting to lose something and also not wanting to render it imperfect by putting it down on paper and not (laughs) wanting to do a disservice to a story that I was proud of and being afraid that the story that I put down wouldn't bear any resemblance to the story I was proud of. So it was a war of fears that ended with me being too afraid that I was never going to write it Mm -hmm. and deciding that an imperfect iteration of it was better than no iteration of it. Well, it's also, I, I imagine it's, you know, when they talk a lot about people who have written their, their debut novel or like when a, a band comes out with their first album and everyone's just like blown away by it because they've spent so much time with that album and then they're immediately told like, that's great. In 14 months from now, I sure hope you have 12 more like incredible tracks for us. But whereas this for you, you know, you like you said, it, it's been a labor of love for almost a decade and you kind of got that chance almost like a debut author again to be like okay this is my baby for so long it has to be hard to to let go because once you let go of a book I've heard so many authors say like once you let go of the story it's the reader's story yeah well that's the thing and I feel like an almost immense relief to to have this story not be my story anymore to have this story be the reader's (laughs) story weirdly it's an interesting point that you made about it feeling like a debut again Mm -hmm. it is and it isn't in some ways it is in that it's so different from anything else that I've ever written. But that also contributed to so much of my fear and insecurities Mm -hmm. about it when I first started writing it, because it wasn't my debut. I had this career built out of writing kind of action-packed fantasy, like dark genre books. And and in so many ways, Addie LaRue is a departure. And it's not even a departure in that this is what I'm going to write from here on out. It's very much an outlier along Mm -hmm. my brand. And I was, I was deeply, deeply afraid for so long that nobody would follow me there, that nobody would like it, that readers would feel betrayed because mm-hmm. it was so out of pocket. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure when I managed to shrug that off. I think over the course of revision, the pieces of me that are always there managed mm-hmm. to show through. And I just made peace with the fact that like, I wrote something so completely from my heart and soul. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, bear resemblance to my other work. That's okay. My own work doesn't bear resemblance to my other work. Like I've prided myself for so long on never doing the same thing twice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's just a strange, weird sibling for the rest of my my work. Well, and and, I mean, I know I can, I can understand what you mean because it definitely is different than your other books, but it's also I don't know, for me, when I see an author that I adore is working on something that's slightly different than a thing that they would normally do, I'm like, oh, that like, it, it gets me excited. Like, um, there was uh, Sarah Gailey, their first book, mm-hmm. they did Magic for Liars, which was yeah. phenomenal. And I interviewed them about that. And then they told me about their next book, which Not was much, like, yeah. And I was just like, wait, those are completely different. But I, I don't know, for me, I always, and maybe it's because I'm a little bit of an older reader now, I'm in my early 30s, as opposed to like reading exclusively one genre or anything. I do get really excited when I see, oh, this person is doing something different. And I don't know, I... I do too. And and I get that. I think that, I think it comes from the the internal criticism that we make for ourselves before we ever hear it elsewhere, Mm -hmm. which is knowing that for instance, like I could have kept writing shades of magic and weirdly, like I am continuing to write shades of magic. There will be three more books in it, but you know, there's a version of me that just writes that. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted to be that version of me because 
because however long the story sits with a reader, it sits with me for years. Right. And right. I want to continually be pushing myself and be entertaining myself. But it's not just that. By making work that is highly disparate, that is highly different, mm-hmm. I reduce the ability for people to compare the works, right? Yeah. So instead of them all feeling like apples, suddenly <laughs> yeah. there's like, here's a pineapple and here's a papaya, <laughs> and here's a peach. And I think for me, some of that is a way to protect myself from the classic criticism, which isn't even a criticism of, I liked this thing more than this, because that's just subjectivity and personal taste. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I finally reached a point where I feel a lot of people, I'm sure, will not like Addy because it's either too slow or it's too internal or it's too X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, you know, but like, I don't really care because like for me, it's everything I wanted to put in a book. And, And the beautiful thing about readership is when you find a book that speaks to you, that is a gift in your life. When you find a book that doesn't speak to you, that's fine. Go find another book. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. yeah. There's a well. I, yeah. Well, and so something it's when I, when I found out like how long you had been kind of sitting with the story and cause I've, I've heard you talk about this book for, you know, I, I've like watched Many. your, your Instagram lives and all these things like getting to like nerd out, like watching you talk to other authors, which will forever be my favorite thing, like watching, all of you interact with each other but something that like struck me is so there's the you know Addie Lou has this like loneliness to her that mm-hmm. I know you've been working on it for so long but like, it really reminds me of quarantine like okay. I feel and I've, I've told my friends this my family like I interact you know like I work at Overdrive I work at a digital company so I yeah. do get to interact with people when I get this very amazing job where I get to talk to all these authors that I adore but like sitting in quarantine, I feel so like heartbreakingly lonely all the time, even when I'm talking to friends and family. And it's just, I don't know, it's like days pass and seasons pass. Like it's about to be fall here in the States. And like, I know. I'm just like, whatever. It just feels like being forgotten. Like it's, it's incredible how timely. It's yeah. It's weird because if you had asked me the kind of year that I would want for Addie LaRue, the kind of backdrop to this book coming out, that's yeah. been so a third of my life in the <laughs> making. Um, of course I would never pick this year for it. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I was supposed to have the biggest year of my career. I was supposed to be headlining festivals that had never even let me in before. Like I was supposed to be going on a book tour. I had all these things and I definitely had to grieve for some of those things, which are mm-hmm. small grievances in the grand scheme of what yeah. we're going through. But the most amazing thing happened, which is, as I came to terms with the fact that Abby was going to have an unusual year, mm-hmm. I also was so fortunate to, to understand that the landscape of this year made it perfect for a book like Abby. Oh, yeah. Which is, as you say, a book about loneliness and a book about feeling forgotten, but also conversely, a book about stubborn hope, mm-hmm. right? A book about a young woman who is so dedicated to the idea of surviving that yeah. she's willing to go through really difficult times with the belief that tomorrow will be better. Mm-hmm. And I, I strangely, even though I you know, could have never predicted this, I hope, and it seems like this from the early reviews, but I do really hope that readers find in Addie a kind of solace uh-huh. and comfort a, a, and an escape, of course, but something hopeful along mm-hmm. the, the backdrop of this year. Well, yeah, and, and you do, like, like I said, I, I found myself sitting with the book a lot and being like, wow, I really do relate to how there are sometimes when she's like sitting on a roof, just like falling asleep, or she's watching someone walk away that she knows is going to forget her. And she's like, well, you know, if she can feel a little bit hopeless, but then there's these moments where like she talks to like I, the darkness, we'll call whatever, like the, you know, the magical entity, whatever you want to call them, like we're they're expecting her to give up and like it's it's early on in the novel and she's just like you know i i think she says like i saw an elephant or something yeah i saw an elephant in paris and yeah. that's a weird shorthand for her defiance of yeah. just like who knows what i'll see tomorrow right and and i've been trying to i guess that i know i'm fortunate to do this this job where i get to talk to these people that i adore but like this conversation right now like yeah we probably could have done it over the phone but like you said like you either would have been traveling or like i got to interview one of my favorite musicians of all time because um Mikhail Jolet he has a he had a book called Hollywood Park that came out mm-hmm. and he's the lead, lead singer of Airborne Toxic event and like it was just because I saw the book was coming out and I emailed a publisher and so like those like little moments of hope where I was having a yeah with him and I was like this wouldn't have happened in a normal world so yeah trying to find those like little pockets of hope 
I got to do that. I got to have a, I got to be in conversation with Neil Gaiman a couple months ago mm-hmm. in a virtual chat. And like, yeah. I mean, it's crazy on so many levels, but also because like Neil and I had wanted to do something mm-hmm. like that for a couple of years, but you know, we're never in the same country. We're never right. in the same, anything. And, and having the, the freedom and the ability to have one of my dreams realized like that because yeah. of the virtual format becoming normalized, yeah. you know, you have to, you have to just seek those joyful moments. You know, I'm, I'm on lockdown, but I'm here with my family mm-hmm. and that itself is an immense privilege and they have a garden so I can get fresh air and that yeah. itself is an immense privilege. And like, you know, you just, that, that it's such a weird shorthand that I saw an elephant in Paris, but yeah. it came to be, an indicator of so many of my own fears and neuroses. And like, I, I have anxiety and I don't struggle nearly as much with depression as I do with anxiety, but the, the few times in my life when I've been really severely depressed, you know, your brain tells your body a lie mm-hmm. in those moments. It tells you whatever you're feeling is not the worst, it's the best. And it's never going to get better. It's mm-hmm. only going to get downhill that like mental health is a degenerative condition, right? That's the lie that your brain tells your body. And, and even in those moments of abject hopelessness, I would just think of something small that I was excited about. Mm-hmm. Like I am excited about the first day I walk outside and the air is cool instead of warm. <laughs> Yeah. I'm excited about the smell of leaves falling. Mm -hmm. I am excited. And like that became Addie's very small, tangible joys, Mm -hmm. which is seeing an elephant, which is walking through the snow, which is things that she gets to do because she is alive. Mm -hmm. Well, and so, and it really has to do with a lot of how we examine and see things you can choose to be hopeful or negative or however you want like early on in the novel there's a part where it's like really really early Addie, get you call Addie a dreamer three times in succession and it's like yeah. very very early on and sorry I, i'm doing the thing where i like tell you about your book no 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 it's good do it <laughs> so and but the, and it's three different people calling her a dreamer and it's depending on how on who's saying it it's either like a regret or a wish or like a warning mm-hmm. and and i love that that you can look at something, you can really look at anything, but especially for her, like you can call Addie a dreamer and it's completely dependent on where you're coming from in the world, how you view it. And it's really the same thing as anything else. Like you said, like I could sit there and think about the fact like I am going to cook dinner again tonight for the millionth night in a row and I can be depressed by that. Or I can think about the fact that like, okay, I'm working from home. So when my workday ends, I'm going to have time to make a dinner from scratch, which I never would have been able to do. Exactly. And I do think it's so important, like lest people think that I'm a very hope punk writer in that Addie goes through basically the stages of grief for her own life before Mm -hmm. she comes to acceptance. And, and she starts out with spite. She does not start out with hope. She started out, she starts out with spite. Yeah. She starts out deciding to survive to spite the devil. Mm-hmm. We'll just call him the devil because it's the easiest shorthand. The idea yeah. being he was existing before the devil, but the devil is the latest name. Mm-hmm. Um, she starts out with spite and what she discovers is that spite can only carry you so far. Yeah. So spite gets her the first 10, 20 years, mm-hmm. but like, how is she going to get through the next 280 And so she discovers that she needs joy as well as spite. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot, you know, just the nature of the world that we're living in now, this, this, how much can you be fueled by anger and how much can you be fueled by hope? Because both are really, really essential for change, for personal change, for societal change. But I always say that anger fuels and hope sustains. Mm -hmm. And I think that Addie, moves through life feeling that there are times when she is immensely angry and it is it fuels her forward but she is sustained in the long term by Mm -hmm. hope and i think that i'm honestly i'm very much the same way like i i struggle to be hopeful now lately like i am just like in a bad mood to be in a bad mood and i do find myself like when i'm there's a difference between being really really angry and spiteful and being like depressed like depressed is when you like i like I'm a lump and I just want to sit here and do nothing and eat M&Ms and drink tea. Yeah. But anger, it's like, okay, I'm going to go for a long run or I'm going to go ride my bike or I'm going to write 2000 words. And in my mind, it's like, just to sit, to show people that I can today, exactly. even though it's for myself, but you're absolutely right. It's like, you do need 
that hopefulness to to understand to have a reason to keep going like you can only be anger runs out you bleed yourself dry like you will hit the bottom of your well if all Mm -hmm. you have in it is anger because it's fuel it's it's as you're saying it's it's a propulsive force that causes you to get up and move and do something but eventually you will get tired and when you stop moving you will have to sit with what is left and so that's why it's important that when you sit with what's left there has to be hope there. There has to be something else. Yeah. And there has to be something internal and something else that you have in here that I, you mentioned before you see yourself as spiritual, not religious. I like that's me to a T as well. I feel the exact same way. And so something that happens here is she basically, like you said, talking about the devil, she kind of like sells her soul. And it's something where even a person who isn't religious, the idea of selling your soul is so like, powerful we can't see it it's something that we think exists you know there's that um with the 21 gram test which they made which you know when someone dies the body's weight changes after death yeah and there was even i think there's even a movie called 21 grams like a long long time ago yeah um but it's it is it's this idea i find it so haunting because it is it's like it's like ariel and little mermaid like you don't want to no matter, even if you're like, I don't believe in a thing beyond this, you don't want to give up that thing inside of you that does make you who you are. Well, and that's the thing. I don't, it depends on, you know, you can think of it as the soul in the story. You can think of it as your life force. You can think of it as simply the, the, the gap between your physical body and your mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and that this is something that Luke capitalizes on, that the devil capitalizes on in the novel, is this idea that you can't see it right. and you don't know if you'll need it. And you certainly don't need it right now. And his whole counterpoint of him versus God is that God doesn't even reward you. Like you, you, you're, you, you're selling it anyway. You're giving it to him or you're giving it to another power, but like you're giving it away. And at least with Luke, you know, you get something in return. And I think I play with Christianity or Christian mythos like that a lot, the trappings of, organized religion a lot. I'm, I'm pagan and, and I study polytheism a lot in school and I live through, you know, I live that. And so I've always been really fascinated by monotheism. I've always been really fascinated on this idea of, of a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I explored in the Shades of Magic series with this concept of can magic be a higher power? Why does there have to be one thing instead of a multiplicity of things and I feel like it's one of the things that drew me to writing Luke's character is you know she lives in a village that is on the verge between the old world and the new that is on the verge between its its pagan trappings its polytheistic trappings and its you know burgeoning Christianity and she doesn't know what to believe in she doesn't know what she does believe in but there is absolutely a kind of country folkloric dietic power there mm-hmm. um and that's what i knew i knew i wanted to play along the fringes of mm-hmm. religion not in the religious space so along those same lines thinking about that i like i said i grew up going to catholic church and mm-hmm. catholic i went to catholic school for all 12 years and then i went to, actually i went to a jesuit college and i went to a jesuit oh graduate school yeah so if if there is a higher power there. i feel like i'm a shoe yeah i've got yeah. my <laughs> but um, but also my father's side of our family is Jewish. So I also, we would go to, he was non-practicing, but we still went to, you know, to not disappoint his his mom, we would go to Rosh Hashanah and Passover and Yom Kippur. And so I grew up in all of these religious things. And like, like I said, I'm not, I don't find myself being religious, but I do enjoy going to churches because I feel like there's, for me, there's comfort in, A, not only just like the silence and everything, but also especially like cathedrals where you're at in France. Like yeah. I, I, I find myself looking up at the idea of like people collectively built this and that's where oh, yeah. I find comfort and like the awe-inspiring, like this exists. So are mm-hmm. there, are there aspects of whether it's the religions that you study and focus on or other things that you do find yourself taking small bits where you can oh, find comfort? I love ritual, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing, the beautiful thing about like Catholic church yeah. is the ritual. I remember the first time I ever went to a Catholic mass, I was like, this is, this is culty and not in a bad way, but like oh, yeah. in the call and, and receive. And you know, when you study polytheism and the translation to monotheism, you learn that like, there's a lot of appropriation there where they like took a lot of, a lot of pagan and polytheistic trappings and then mm-hmm. adapted them through. And so, yeah, there are things that absolutely I still respond to. Um, I love churches. I love sitting in them. Mm-hmm. And when I was researching for Addie, I traveled 
basically to every, everywhere she goes and then several places that never made it into the book. And I ended up in a church in every single place. I specifically sought them out because I wanted to play with that scene. I didn't know what scene it would be, but the scene mm-hmm. where Addie and Luke speak in the church yeah. um, about what is a soul. Yeah. And the, I knew that was going to take, it, it, it was set in so many different places over the course of writing the story. It was set in Prague. It was set in, you know, in, in Belgium. It was set in Zurich. It was set in Edinburgh and it ended up in, in France um, as so much of the story did. I think I'm, I'm definitely attracted to the piece and I'm attracted to the idea, like I'm a firm believer in power. I'm a firm believer in the power of belief specifically, mm-hmm. this concept that we through belief in a thing, manifest it. Um, I absolutely believe in the, not even like the power of prayer, but the power of communal identity in that way. It it applies to, to like a a pagan ritual, to something like Beltane in Scotland. It applies to, to anything. I, I do find I, there's a place really close to my house. My house is set, uh, my house is set. My house is located about 10 minutes from where the book is set. Uh Uh-huh. So I, I put it in my in my neighborhood, so to speak. Right. And there's an incredible monastery nearby where twice a day you can go and you can listen to the monks chant. Mm-hmm. And I've gone several times, not in, not this year because of COVID, but in, in the years that my parents have lived here mm-hmm. and just sat and felt such an overwhelming sense of meditation mm-hmm. and peace. And I wouldn't attribute that to a God, but I would attribute it to finding a quiet within myself. Yeah. And there are things that I'm definitely attracted to the trappings of religion. I'm attracted Mm. to the hierarchies of it, the saints and the angels and the, you know, as above, so belowness of like the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure. I think I just like the ritual. I like the drama. Yeah. And for me, it's also the nostalgia of it. Like mm-hmm. I, when I grew up, we would um, go pick up my grandfather and we would go to his church and it was this huge Slovak cathedral where I'm mm-hmm. from in Lorain, Ohio. And it was, it was this ritual of like, I remember specific, these weird specific things. I can remember the smell. He always had, he always smoked a pipe. So he always smelled like tobacco and he always, he was like the most well-dressed 75 year old man. He always wore like a leather jacket. So I remember like the smells of leather and like the feel of his hand holding mine And so like when I go to a church, I can remember those things. And for me, every part of the year is somehow not like based around religion, but kind of like how Addie relives things a lot and thinks about all the things in her life. Like I always think of the fall as the time when after church, he would come over to my parents' house and we would watch football. And Mm -hmm. so I remember like these little specific things that to me, religion is, like you said, I I don't know that I believe in a thing that's guiding us, but I do find comfort in the nostalgia of it. I was gonna say that's a nostalgic spinal column, isn't it? It's something that yeah. runs through the length of your life. And and it's interesting, I don't have the similar nature. My my family's Jewish. I was raised in a really weird environment where again, like we celebrated Hanukkah and Rosh Hashanah and, and Passover, but in in more of a crossing your T's and dotting your I's ways. And I remember maybe being 12 or 13 and having a Hanukkah where there was a Christmas tree in the other room because my mom always just really liked Christmas trees. Uh-huh. And I was given a Buddhist, like a little Buddhist set of uh-huh. like a candle set, um, an altar. And I like turned to my parents and I was like, this has got to stop you guys. Like, you, like, <laughs> this is, like, I'm getting a Buddhist gift on the first night of Hanukkah while the Christmas tree <laughs> is in the other room. So I, d- I never had that kind of nostalgia I think I had nostalgia for place travel Mm -hmm. and nature have always been such a part of my identity that where I feel the closest thing to that nostalgia is is in in an atmosphere in a location I remember being you know going to a graveyard for the very first time with my family in Canterbury where my half my family lives I remember Mm -hmm going out into the boonies in the south where my dad was a duck hunter and I hated hunting, but I loved being out there at dawn when the mm-hmm. world seemed to wake up. Like there, I think I have that tie to place, less mm. place in the big sense instead of like the church sense. Yeah. But I absolutely think these are the things that inform us. These are the things that form the basis of our identity. Yeah, I know. I definitely, I, I know exactly what you mean, because I feel the same way, especially during the fall, like growing up from since, honestly, before I can remember, we've been going to the same apple orchard, my family. So mm-hmm. like, back when I was 
three or four, we would go to this place. And then now we're taking my nieces and nephews. And it's the exact same thing. Like I find myself being very comforted and feeling nostalgic when I'm there doing these exact things. And I then I'll extend, extend that to like books that I read, like any like Wendell Berry novel, which is exactly just like books set on farms. And that's I'm in my mind, I'm picturing myself there. And like, I think, in a whimsical, like another world in my mind. I'm like, oh, I would love to live on a farm said when in reality, I would love to be at a farm <laughs> harvest time when someone's, exactly. bringing, like when someone's bringing me like a fresh pot pie that they've just made. I don't want to do any of the work ahead of time. I want to get up and do the work. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I am. Um, yeah. I think we all have something which fills that place, whether mm. it's a tradition, whether it's the ritual of religion, whether it's simply the rote memorization of an activity performed many, many times. I want to take a quick quick break today to talk about our next sponsor, which is Fast Growing Trees. This is so cool. We talked about it a little bit ago, uh, a few few weeks back. Man, what a cool, cool company Fast Growing Trees is. You can skip the big box stores and head to fastgrowingtrees.com. It's the world's largest online nursery. You don't have to worry about waiting in lines, messy cars, digging through lackluster selection. Just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants expertly curated to thrive in your area and delivered to your door in one or two days. And they're not kidding when they say expertly curated to thrive in your area. If you go to their website, it's going to tell you what growing zone you are. And then every single plant and shrub and fruit and vegetable uh, tree, anything you look at, it's going to tell you where it's going to be able to be grown. So you don't have to worry about being like I am in in Ohio here and being like, I want to grow some pineapples. I know what's going to grow for me. In fact, I got uh, blueberry bushes and lemon trees sent to my sister's house because I uh, don't have a yard, but I wanted to take advantage of these. So now I know that in the not too distant future, I'm going to have fresh blueberries and lemons that they're right mine, they're mine. I don't have to worry about anyone else. It's amazing. So whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit trees, or just add a little bit of color to your yard, every plant is shipped and well with well-developed uh, root systems ready to explode with new growth coming spring. I love this company. I love this concept. It was amazing to be at my sister's house when they dropped off my blueberry bush and my lemon tree. And it's just, man, so excited. And they have a 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, which means your plants are going to arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. You don't have to worry about the next day them dying if you don't have a green thumb. This is honestly just the best thing in the world. Now through November 15th, if you go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN, you can get 10% off. That's 10% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN. Other than writing, because I, it's so funny. I would, I've done all these interviews throughout quarantine and like every author that I, I think in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to ask them how they've been productive during quarantine. And like almost without fail, everyone's like, yeah, it's weird, but this is, I always am home. So it's like the same answer, but other than like writing and work, what's something that you've done during kind of this weird time that you're really proud of? Um, so Physical and mental health tie really, really closely for me. And Mm -hmm. I've been traveling so much the past few years. I mean, it was in like 16, 17 countries last year, a dozen the year before that it's been really hard for me to take care of my body and mind. And something that I've worked really hard on while being static here, I normally sit still for maybe a month out of the year and I'm I'm here for like eight months Mm -hmm. in one place is, you know, every single day I do yoga, every single day I take, do something that takes care of my physical health and my mental health. Mm -hmm. I try and like close my computer and spend time with family or sit on the porch and read a book. Um, almost every day when the season permits, my parents have a a vegetable garden that my Mm -hmm. dad tends. And every day before lunch, I go up and I pick raspberries to eat at lunchtime. And it's weird, but that's just like such a calming ritual for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I segment my day pretty religiously because of how much work I have to do and the different hats that I wear Mm -hmm. right now. But, you know, the two hours after breakfast and before lunch break in this, in this vicinity are only for writing. I don't touch anything, anything else on my computer, except for my earbuds, which go in my ears 
the rain, which I load, like the rainy sounds that I load and the timer that I set for 30 minute increments. Those two hours are sacred. But in the afternoons, I try and take like 30 to 45 minutes after lunch Mm -hmm. and just like sit with my dad and read books side by side, do something that is really present and really calming and doesn't feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm racing toward a finish line. Yeah. Do you find yourself able, like at the end of the day then, to separate all of these things? Like, I feel like for me... So all of, one of the weird situations of being in the job that I do is all of the advanced reader copies of books that I'm getting are digital now, which like most first world problem in the world, no worries but I at all. Hate reading digitally. I hate reading like yeah. digital books on my computer, but what ends up happening is it'll be like 10 o'clock at night and I'll be sitting on my computer reading, um, you know, whatever new book, like Ken Follett's new book that's coming yeah. out, um, reading that for an upcoming interview. And then like, while I'm reading, I'll be like, well, I should just check my email really quick or let me just hop on Slack, which is what we use yeah. as our company. Like, are you able to really separate yourself? So I'm, I'm reading a lot of s- scripts right now for a job and, and that's hard. And I kind of just have to like carve out the time to do it, but I read on the Kindle and I don't love it. I still would rather read everything by on paper just because reading on screens feels like work, mm-hmm. not joy. Um, but yeah, I do, I try and like, because I have the privilege to do this segment, my devices. So like the laptop that we're chatting on right now is only for writing. Yeah, I gotcha. And then my Kindle is only for reading scripts. Mm -hmm. And then I try and buy material books when I can from like book depository and have them delivered because I would still rather read any book in paper form. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I... I'm, I'm such a terrible multitasker uh, in that I'm an obsessive multitasker, but like I read books while I'm cycling, like yeah. on a station bike. Mm-hmm. So I can't, I'm not checking email at the same time. I do yoga. And when I do yoga, I can't check anything. Yeah. Like I am, that is like a time when I am tuned out maybe it's only 20, 30 minutes, but it's 20, 30 minutes when I'm not mm-hmm. segmenting my attention to something else. So I try, I try because of how hard I work mentally, I don't want to make it sound like I work so hard, but like because of how much mental energy I put forth in the early part of my day, mm-hmm. I know myself well enough to know that I have to pace myself, that if yeah. I continue to expend that mental energy too far into my evening, one, I won't sleep and two, I'll wake up and have a harder time the next day. So I've gotten really a lot better at compartmentalizing the work and forcing myself to stop mm-hmm. the kind of work that would keep me awake at a specific time. Gotcha. Okay, well, so let's let's do the important stuff now. Let's okay. let's get into the books that you've yeah. been loving during, and we'll just do some book recommendations back and forth because, like, it okay. was so funny. We got so many messages from people after you and I chatted. Like, people were like, "Oh my god!" I like it was almost like they didn't even comment on the actual talking about like the yeah. specific thing. They're like, "Love like all the book right. recommendations." Okay, yeah. well, I've got you covered there. Okay, let's do this thing. Um, so you should understand, I'm living with my parents. I'm a 33 year old adult living with my parents right now. And so my dad is 71 and he became a reader at 69. Mm -hmm. He was like in the tech industry and he just never had the attention for books. And then when he retired, now he reads obsessively. Yeah. So my parents and I have set up a family book club. And so like we share books. And so not everything I read, I can tell if I'm reading something that's not a good fit for my dad, but we've had two installments of Schwab family book club so far both wonderful. Yeah. Totally different books. So one of the best books I've read this year is The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ mm-hmm. Klune, which is like, I describe it as like a big gay sweater. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> the kind of book that it's such a wholesome, really just like loving book. Mm-hmm. And I, it made me cry and it made both of my parents cry, but never sad tears. Like just yeah. really wonderfully, the kind of book we need this year in terms of its comfort. Mm-hmm. The other book that we read for Family Book Club was The Institute by Stephen King. (laughs) It was a compulsively readable, like 650 pages that we all blew through. So for something that just makes you forget the outside world, Mm -hmm. both of those books, I just feel like are are speaking to me. How about you? Okay. So we, I can go so many different directions. Um, I, my co-host Jill and I have been laughing like, I think because of quarantine, I've been ready in my mind, like we talked about, for fall since like early July. And in my mind, I'm just like, let's just get there. And so like literally when August 1st rolled around, I've been reading so much horror and like things that involve witches. 
Um, so like uh, Alex Harrow has a new book coming out called The Once and yeah. Futures. I haven't read it yet. Is it good? It's fabulous. It okay. is um, basically it's like women trying to earn the right to vote, but the three main characters are all sisters who are witches. Okay. And it's this um, story where I'm doing the thing where I'm talking about an advanced reader copy and all of our other listeners are going to be like, cool, can't wait to wait <laughs> but for But it's very soon. It's very soon. Yeah. Plus by the time this comes out, cause I'm going to put this out yeah. when your book comes out, it'll be basically there. So um, every, in the story, they're in new Salem and old Salem was basically like burned to the ground because it was quote unquote fraught with witches. Yeah. And what, what you come to realize is every woman in this world has some kind of magic and every one of their mothers gave them both a name that like they use in society and also like their witches, like their mothers. Mm-hmm. And so they basically form this society of all of these witches who are coming together to fi- help show why it's important, why women's suffrage is so essential. But at the same time, they're also working towards unleashing this power that might be good, it might be evil. It's like kind of the source of why they're all able to have this magic. And it's just, it goes, the, the three sisters are so fabulous and it goes from each of their, um, each of their points of view, like the chapters rotate and it's just, delightfully wonderful um another one is uh wonderland by zoya stage so it's like if somebody described um a friend of mine who does another podcast called reading glasses her name's mallory she named it perfectly it's like if you take the shining but it was written by shirley jackson so, okay. Yeah. So it's a female, like it's the main character is this woman who has this family that she goes in, basically goes to move to the woods and uh-huh. she's been a ballet dancer in New York all her life. And now she's had several kids and she's no longer a professional ballet dancer and she's supported the family all of their lives. But her husband always made the sacrifices of like, he was kind of like a stay at home dad more or less. Yeah. And he's an incredible painter. And so he gets this inspiration where he wants to move to this like family cabin in the woods in, Uh um, I think it's in Canada. Basically they go there, he gets a little crazy, bad things happen. You're not sure if it's in their minds or if it's, it's called Wonderland. Yeah. Um, Zoya stage. She wrote, um, baby teeth, I think. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. It's it's very, very dark. It is a little, uh, rough. I'm writing it down right now. Hold on. Um, also sidebar, I thought that was just another pillow at your left. That oh, pillows behind you. That is yes. a is that a dog? Okay, yes. Yeah, so sorry. Because so, <laughs> like I that forget. pillow moved, and I was okay. so confused. <laughs> okay, I guess I forgot this because I've said it so many times on our on the interview. So, yeah. um, I have two dogs, a Vishla uh-huh. and a Weimariner. Okay. This is my Vishla. Remy, you want to say hi? Hey. Oh my God. Okay. It's under the blanket. Okay. Yes. I was so confused because I was like that blanket, like yeah. that pillow, just. Like shook off. Yeah. So this is Remy, and Remy joins me for all of my meetings and interviews. Oh my goodness. Um, so I am currently just in a guest bedroom, which is where I do all my interviews. Got it. I'm working from home, and yeah. my wife also works from home, so uh, it's just distracting if I'm like at the desk. Yeah. So yeah, I I completely forget that like I'll yeah. be doing this. I actually saw your face. You were like, well, because oh. the pillow behind you is made of the same material as the mm-hmm. blanket that the dog is clearly under. Yes. And so when the blanket moved and the pillow didn't, I became very confused that you had like a possessed element to your bedspread. Oh, yeah. yeah, I so we're on Zoom, so no one will be able to see this, yeah. but I've done stuff for like, I've done interviews talking about Overdrive that then show up on YouTube. And like the guy yeah. who'll be interviewing me, asking me questions, will be like, so this is a, a new service that Overdrive provides. And he'll just like walk behind me. And then I'll see the guy be yeah. like, um sorry about that back to the have you read mexican gothic yet by sylvia marino i haven't jill my co-host just finished it and she told she told me i think it's her favorite thing of the year so far it's it's gory i don't think anyone i mean it's a really great halloween read i don't think anyone prepared me for like i knew it was gonna be scary Mm -hmm. but it is like viscerally gory okay i can see i'm I'm okay with that no no no, but i recommend reading it over listening for that okay. one so like like I I got it from overdrive of course Maybe. I checked it out from the library but I had a friend who had a heart not a harder time with it at all from a story perspective but when mm-hmm. you're listening to horror you don't really get to like skim or control the, the way in which yeah. the information is being given to you mm-hmm. like I remember reading a really viscerally gory book several years back I can't remember what the book was but it was on audio oh it was like um stiff Mary Roach oh, which yeah. is nonfiction about corpses uh-huh. 
And I really didn't think I was going to have a problem with it until it got to some of the really visceral description. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't control any of that when it's on audio. And I think sometimes in books, when things are gory, it's a little easier to read than listen. Yeah. And I think it also, there's something about like, um, I read recently The Shadows by Alex North. Oh yeah. I haven't read it yet. It's on my list. It's really good. But it's the same thing. Like the, the violence and things that take place in it, you don't, it's not happening like in real time. So mainly you get described the scenes of the aftermath. Okay. So like what the corpses look like when they're dead and like they're set up in a ritualistic, speaking of rituals, and like a ritualistic way. (laughs) But the words that you hear out loud when when there's like words like squelching. No, no, see, that's again, that's again, I need to be able to read them and not hear them. You just, just the face that I made while listening to it with me saying. And I love, you know what? I love a good descriptive adjective. I love, I just, I can't, I like, I really don't like hearing it. Like, I think yeah. I was on Mary Roach on Stiff. They were talking about like debriding wounds. Mm-hmm. Oh. And for anyone who doesn't know, debriding is when you use living things to clean out a wound, like say yeah. maggots. And like, I was fine reading that, but for some reason hearing about like the, I think there's a place in the, I think it's in the Northeast. I might just be totally making that up it's at one of the u- in universities where they leave bodies out to study decomposition. So it's like a field and forest and there are just kind of like corpses, mm-hmm. you know, set places to study like what decomp looks like. Again, a really fascinating thing to read about, but like it turns out hearing it on audio is actually very difficult to yeah. do. <laughs> um, As uh, we so, enter Halloween. <laughs> yeah. I was just, so speaking of Halloween books, the best one I think I've read in a really long time, The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. I've just started it. So no okay. spoilers. No spoilers. I, um, I got to interview her and um, not really like buddies. She's moving to Columbus, Ohio, like near oh, nice. like, literally like an hour and a half from where I live. But um, yeah, it is the world that she builds in that uh-huh. is so fun and okay. so unique. You're going to love I've it. Literally, I'm literally like one chapter in. Like okay, I so, bought it the day it came out, but I, I've been trying to get through my backlog of the five books that I was reading simultaneously. Yep. And I'm a monster who needs to like bring it down a little bit to two yeah. or three books. Um, so if, did you ever see The Witch, the movie? The oh Witch? yeah. Okay, so that, if you liked that, you'll love this. In fact, she even said like when I interviewed her, she's like, that was kind of her inspiration for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just very, I love like an unapologetically strong female like lead yeah. in a horror is fantastic so. I can't wait and I the cover is stunning mm-hmm. which and I for I fully admit to being an author who is drawn to the cover like oh, yeah. I won't it's interesting I'll never hold a bad I try not to hold a bad cover against a book because I know that we have very little control but a mm-hmm. good cover will shoot a book to the very top of my oh, yeah. like, immediate there's immediate. here's an example of that and people are gonna laugh because I've talked about this book uh-huh. literally nonstop for the last month it was a book called clown in a cornfield um, oh my god that's a horrifying title okay so it's by this um it's a it's a ya horror it's by adam caesar okay and it is oh, i so yeah pull up the cover while i'm talking about it and people will i've literally sorry for everyone listening you're just gonna have to and, so it's the cover is literally it's like that old timey stephen King yeah it looks like the stranger things imitation kind of thing yeah. where like the stranger things is pulling from the that type font exactly and like if you look closely at the cornfield Mm-mm. it's literally a Mm-mm. clown in the cornfield. oh god i just saw it yeah okay. why so, 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 no, no, no. I, see that. Listen, I, I grew up terrified of clowns <gasps> but i'm not anymore so this oh, it's no. a classic if you like like god, i find myself yeah, like, and, like, during Halloween, I always watch, like, Halloween or the Friday the 13th yeah. movies. This is literally a classic slasher, but it's a book. And it's just yeah. kids have a, more or less, these teenagers have a party in the in a cornfield, and they are... I'm terrified of clowns still, so am I going to have to be careful with that one? It's, yeah, I mean, it it's very clown-heavy, but... It, <laughs> I wouldn't I guess. I wouldn't yeah. guess from the cover or the title that that was going to be a clown heavy book yeah no it's delightful and like the clown's name is friendo which is just like just oh like, no i know um, i went and i saw the new it not it's the, the second chapter but i was in brazil on tour and i had brought my best friend with me when mm-hmm. it the reboot came out and we went and we saw it in rio in a giant movie theater. And uh-huh. all I could think was, I have made a terrible, <laughs> it was like an IMAX. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is the worst decision I yeah. have ever made. 
and it was well do you guys know what your next book is for the schwab family book we don't i'm really torn so here's the problem is my dad is actually super difficult yeah (laughs) like he's somebody who loses interest in things very easily and if you ask him well what do you want to read next he has no idea yeah like he just can't suggest anything and so you start suggesting things and then he doesn't like any of them so Mm -hmm. it feels a bit miraculous so the way family book club works is I give my father a book and if three days later he's enjoying it, my mom and I catch up. Gotcha. So like he decides and then that way if he bails, my mom and I are not left with like only a two out of three person member like yeah. Schwab Family Book Club. So I'm going to have to see what I'm going to give him next as like a tester. He really likes thrillers mm-hmm. and he really likes, he likes the compulsively readable books. He's not mm-hmm. terribly good on the slow books. It's so funny, by the way, I meant to, when you mentioned this, so I am one year older than you i'm 34 and yeah. my dad just turned 71 actually this past week um you can probably hear my dog he, my dog just woke up and i just heard it yeah being very uh he's just staring at me like oh we're still in here um <laughs> but he much like your dad like he's always been a little bit of a reader but since he retired a couple years ago mm-hmm. he has definitely gotten into it and he is easy like i can just be like here's a new michael Connolly book or like here like he's that would make my father very happy yeah like but wants what he knows right but my mom my mom was a english teacher for uh 40 years and she is the reason i love reading and do what i do but because like she will read a book a book a day and she's mm-hmm. one of those people where like i'll hand her like a pulitzer prize winning book and yeah. she's like no i didn't really love how it ended and I'll just be like, <laughs> like she's the toughest yeah. critic it's so funny yeah. um and so she i almost like hesitate giving her book recommendations even though it's like part of my job like so i'm looking for a new book and i'm like i don't want to be the one to tell you to read a book well the thing that makes my dad so maddening is he'll read a book and he'll love it like so i gave him the poppy war by rf long (sighs) and he read it like compulsively for days like my father because he doesn't have anything else really to do and he doesn't really have any hobbies he'll just like read until you make him stop to do something else so he was compulsively into the poppy war Mm -hmm. finished it he's like that was so good and i'm like great do you want to read the sequel no I'm like, what is what? wrong? He was like, not yet. I want to go read something different, which is how we got him. We gave him the Institute. But now I genuinely don't know what to give him because even if he loves a book, you never, there's no guarantees. My dad just likes to keep you on your toes. And he's not a really ambitious reader. So I couldn't give him like one of the best books that I've read recently was The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. So like revolutionary book, but he would never like it because it's too ambitious and it's too strange. And he gets very confused when things happen structurally. Mm, like okay. he doesn't, my father is a very like type A, really can't deal with a lot of a linearity or anything mm. like that. Even with Addie, I had to be like, it's a flashback, dad. It's a flashback. It's two stories that are happening, one in the past and one in the present. You're going to get the hang of it. Like, yeah. So we deal with that one, whether we're watching television shows as a family or what, you can't deal with alienary. So now I truly, if you have any suggestions for a difficult reader, I'm like looking at my bookshelves, trying to figure out what I'm going to give him next. So what about something like, um, like Mythos by Stephen Fry, where it's like- mm, Too dry. Too dry, okay. He wants to be entertained. Like he okay. desperately like needs to be entertained. Like he likes like the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Okay. Um, so there's a book that it's pretty short, so you'll be able to, it's called A Children's Bible by Lydia, Lydia, I think it's Millet, Uh M-I-L-L-E-T, and it is these young kids, I think they're like teenagers, and they Uh go to this, like, beach house, more or less, with their family, Uh and they're all there for like a month, like a really long time. And why they're told that they're there because their fam, their parents want to basically have one more reliving of when they were in college. And so like all the parents more or less are just getting like hammered all the time. And so the kids are left to their own devices and they are going out and exploring. And what ends up happening is kind of like the book of revelations. Like the kids go out and they start, there's like plagues that happen, but then it literally seems like it's the end of the world and you're not really sure why. And it's almost like, Lord of the Flies and like uh-huh. hatchety kind of a thing, okay. but it's definitely not dry. It is 
I really liked it. I, it okay, it's- I'm gonna have to check it out. That also makes me think that maybe I could give him the Book of Lost Things by John Connolly, which is one yeah. of my favorite dark books yeah. ever. He just like he, but he goes. Here's the thing: it's like a thin line, right? He wants to be interested and to mm-hmm. like that propel him forward, but he doesn't like to be confused. So he has to be in that very narrow window of space yeah. between like confident that it will all make sense eventually. Like whenever I start a movie for him, if I've seen it already, I have to say this isn't going to make sense until the end. Like he has to know that that's like the nature of a story is that it doesn't make sense along the way. He did really like, oh, I'm looking for the title on my shelf, but I've just lent it to somebody. So of course it's not here, (laughs) not helpful at all. Um, You let me in. No, hold on, there's two, right? There's like, let me me in, let, let me- Let the right one in. No, and it's not let the right one in. It's you let me in, I believe, which is a new one. Uh, it's a really weird thriller that might be supernatural or might be, hold on. You let me in. Camilla Bruce, yeah. Okay. So it's by Camilla Bruce. It's called You Let Me In. It is a very weird book about an author who has disappeared and mm-hmm. like maybe is dead. And it's you up to you to figure out if what happened to her is supernatural uh-huh. or psychological. Ooh. And it was really, but it it walked that very narrow line between Mm -hmm. like my father was confused, but not so much that he like gave up on his ability to understand it in the end. Okay. I've one more. How does he feel about Sherlock Holmes? He's never read it. Okay. Um, But what like like the. He likes, he watched all of Elementary and he's watched all of BBC Sherlock. Okay. So thinking this actually. I imagine he likes your books and I imagine he likes Neil Gaiman type books. Yeah. So if he likes those and Sherlock Holmes, there's a book called The Angel of the Crows by Catherine Addison. Oh, okay. So she wrote The Goblin Emperor. Yeah, yeah. Which was, I'll never forget, I interviewed Holly Black um, uh-huh. about the Cruel Prince books, all about like goblins and, you know, elves yeah. and all these things. And her telling me The Goblin Emperor was her favorite, like, elven book ever and i'm like staring at her i was like but you're like the queen of this stuff. <laughs> it's it's what you do holly. What you do holly yeah but so she told me about that okay. and, and i loved that but then the angel angel of the crows is basically uh-huh. like sherlock holmes if sherlock holmes had vampires and angels and all these different things okay. in it so there's different angels for each section of the world and usually it's just like an angel of a cathedral and Mm -hmm. they have when an angel falls it's extremely destructive and there's like dark angels and light angels and the main character is basically like supposed to be Sherlock Holmes but they're the angel of London okay that actually sounds like something that not only would my father like but I would like as well yeah so you'll love love. (laughs) yeah so look up the angel of the crows by Catherine Addison and it's also really fun if you know the Sherlock Holmes stuff because they'll do they do all like there's one overarching story but then they'll do really small like cases quote unquote while they're doing the big thing and it's like oh that's the hound of baskerville like you'll like pick up you're like oh i see what they're doing very different but it makes me think of like ben aranovich's rivers of london which is essentially like a grown-up like a grown-up harry potter like detective in london yeah it's honestly not so different that's a pretty okay. good that's a pretty yeah. good mirror so this sounds great though um i can't wait so i've got the angel of the crows wonderland a children's bible oh and you said you're already doing the year oh and then the once in future witches which you meant you said once in future witches yeah which i already know about but the isn't out one. yet uh yeah and then the last one i'll tell you just because it reminded me actually of your middle grade books uh-huh. um it's called scratch scratch by scratch uh, scratch by Lindsay curie it's a source yeah books, yeah source books book and it's just about this girl who her dad, um, you'll read it in like an afternoon. Her dad yeah. owns a Chicago bus tour, but it's a haunted bus tour. Oh, nice. And she meets this kid at the end of the tour on the bus. And she's like, where did you come from? You're not supposed to be here. And mm. it ends up that he's a ghost. And then oh. trying to figure out like where the ghost came from. And she's being haunted all along the way. Like it literally reminds me of like Tunnel of Bones kind of stuff. I was going to say, I'll have to check that one out. I, think, yeah. I, I just read Pet. Um, did you read Pet? Hold I on, did I have not. To look up how to pronounce? I'm really terrible at all names. Hold on, let me pull it up. Um, it was one of the best things. I keep okay. saying that I'm really terrible at this. I keep saying it's one of the best things I've read <laughs> this year. But like I've read 80 books so far this year, and I've probably really thoroughly loved five of them. Yeah. And um, Aquaman. The- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pet. Um, and it is basically about. 
something that climbs out of one of her mother's paintings and might be an angel and might be a devil, but is there to find the monster in her town. And like, it is so good. Yeah. And I, and it's, it's really short too. It's like maybe 200 pages. Oh man. Um, I'm I'm borrowing this. Like really it's, it's, here's my only thing with it. Is it, it's 205 pages. It seems like it's supposed to be, or it's, thinks it's YA, but I think it's middle grade, mm. which so which just proves me, I don't really actually care where anything sits on a shelf, just how much I like it. Yeah. Um, but the only thing was that the protagonist felt a little bit younger than I think they were meant to be, but mm-hmm. the God, I like could not stop reading it. Yeah, that's- Highly um, recommend Pet. Okay, I'm, because they just had um, the death of Vivek- Yeah, Oji I have the death of Vivek Oji on my, um, on my Audible, like yeah. on my audio account, but I, because I, sometimes I'm really impatient. So I have like, I'm at my full holds limit on overdrive. And then mm-hmm. I'll be like, but I have to get this one now. So I like get my one credit a month. And I spent that one on the death of Vivek OG. Yeah. Um, and I haven't read Freshwater either, which is also. Freshwater there. is amazing. That That's yeah. why I want to read Pet because Freshwater was so good. But Pet um, was truly, read it in a day, mm-hmm. like really, really wonderful. Um, okay, I've taken up an hour of your time, so I have one more question for you, which <laughs> yeah. is exactly, I think this is exactly what happened last time, too. Um, what do you hope readers take away from The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue? Um, it'll be interesting. I think different kinds of readers will take away different things, but I think even if you don't think that you're a fan of the fantastical or the magical, this is at its core a story about deeply what it means to be human and specifically about what it means to be a specific age. For some people that age is 20, for some it's 30, for some it's 40, for some they haven't found it yet. The age in which you begin to fear that your life is passing you by and what you would do to hold on to it. And I feel like it is a book about leaving your mark on the world. And I I don't really know what I hope readers take from it, but I hope that they, I guess I hope that they feel like the story goes on after it's over, I've had a lot of people message me and be like, but I miss her. And I, I, I had one reviewer I was doing an interview with who said like, I've woken up every day since I finished the book thinking about Addie and wondering what she's doing. And like, that's what I want. I want Addie to get to like haunt you a little bit in that like, I want Addie's story. I want you to miss it when it's over. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. Cause missing is remembering. Mm-hmm. Well, I can confirm that people will because I have missed Addie every day since <laughs> I have finished. Um, Victoria, this is you're one of my favorite people to talk to. Hopefully, next Aww. time we do this, they can be in person in again. Person. I would oh. love that. It was so, so nice getting to talk books with you. Thank you for the recommendations, too, for me and for my very difficult father. I, you know what? I, if, at least, if only one of them helps, then I will have at least done my job. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you so much for, again, letting me bogart an hour of your time. Of course, it was a joy. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.